All right. Uh, my name is Dan. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, worshiping with you all today. Um, uh, we've only ever visited Savannah once before, and that was for John and G's wedding. And uh, I always remember that weekend, because that was right before COVID struck, and that, that big old change, that one thing called COVID that happened. And, um, but unfortunately, we weren't able to stay over uh, Lord's Day to visit with the brethren here. And so as we are, my wife and I were sitting down several months ago in our, uh, our little African homestead, kind of mapping out our itinerary and our U.S. visit, uh, we made a plan that we, we need to be in Savannah for Lord's Day to meet you all, because um, uh, certainly Brian Neva and John and G have spoken about you guys, and we're so thankful uh, for both the support and encouragement you provide our family, uh, but also uh, hearing about your guys' faith and your service to the Lord is an encouragement uh, to me and to my family. And so thank you for uh, pouring into us for a little bit today and through this, uh, this past week. Okay, I want to talk about uh, parenting, and as I was uh, scooting by my wife, as she will be sitting there in the back with two children, I just said, good luck, because I know it's a little bit of challenge when your husband is talking about parenting and uh, sitting uh, with two kids under uh, four years old there, and so let's just all work together to make this a judgment-free zone for the next, like, 40 minutes. Uh, this is not a sermon where I want any wandering eyes uh, whenever uh, what my child or, or your child acts up. Uh, we're just here to look at God's word and find some scriptures and some passages that can educate us for how we need to raise up our uh, young children. Uh, this is not something where I feel overly qualified for. But I know God's word speaks to this. This is an important subject, and so uh, it needs to be taught. And so I'm glad for the opportunity to do that today. Uh, but let's just be thoughtful about um, first evaluating ourselves um, and being very, very supportive and encouraging to us all as we're all trying to figure this out. Um, and so we all have different backgrounds and we all have been exposed to different parenting styles. But just like any other subject in God's word, our job is to have the approach of Proverbs 3, not to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him. And so that means there might be some things that doesn't feel intuitive, but if God's word says it, we've got to take that seriously. And I know that um, we all share that same perspective regarding God's word. And so we're going to consider those things today. So, um, I just have a series of lessons. This is a, uh, a lesson primarily for parents, even though we'll have some other applications uh, kind of sprinkled in here. And so this is a parent-friendly PowerPoint, which means I know when we're wrangling kids in our pews, some is hard to turn to the pages, so I have all the scriptures up here, so don't worry about that. So we'll, be, we'll be able to read um, all these together and talk about them. And so I first want us to look at the first scripture, and I have maybe seven or eight. We'll see how many we get through today. Um, there's more the Bible says than what I'll be able to talk about, and so we'll just try to make progress. That's only the goal of today, not to uh, fix my family or yours, but just to make progress and to grow in our understanding of this very important subject. So I want to first start in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, if I have not already given the answer away, I might as ask you to think, right, what verse in Ephesians chapter 6 would I want to read? Um, perhaps you think of verse number 4 when it starts talking about fathers, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But I think the best place to start talking about parenting and how to train and raise our children 
is actually in verses 1 through 3. The instruction to children. Because it is in this verse that we learn what is God's expectation and desire for children. And that, to me, is great material for any parent who's trying to figure out, okay, what kind of kid does God want my kid to be? Well, we're going to find the answer to that, verses 1 through 3. It's kind of, I think, really helpful also, kind of a side point. You know, when, you know, looking at earlier in chapter 5, the roles of husbands and wives, I think one of the most helpful things a husband can do is read the section about who God wants his wife to be, to think about how he can support and encourage his wife. And the best thing a wife can do is read the husband part to see how she can best support her man and encourage her man to grow in those areas. And so same thing here with this instruction in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may turn out well for you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard in my Bible, and in my Bible, that latter half of this reading is in in quotations and it's in capital letters, which means it's an Old Testament quotation. He's quoting from one of the Ten Commandments and something that's been said multiple times in the Old Testament. But according to this scripture, the goal of our parenting is to train our children to do two things. To obey and respect or honor us as parents. My job as a father and my wife's job as a mother is to train my kids to both honor and respect me, and to obey me. Now, this might seem, maybe for some of us, kind of self-serving. You know, it kind of seems like, all right, uh, it, it would work out better for me to have less headaches in my life if my children were obedient. But I think there's more to it than that. Because according to this verse, this is the first commandment that contains a promise, which means if we are able to train our children to possess these qualities, there's a reward at the end. And the reward at the end is that our children will live well and have a long life on the earth. So, um, if we truly love our children and we want what is best for them, there is nothing more that you could do to set up your child for success, to have a well-lived life, than at a young age training and molding your children to both honor and obey you as a parent. And even though it's not explicitly stated here or in the Old Testament when this command was originally given, I believe the reason why such importance is placed upon this command is that our children will associate and will lean upon the understanding and relationship they have with their earthly parents to the type of attitude they'll have with their heavenly father. So for example, if I am trying and if, if my hope and dream is for my child to have a respectful and obedient attitude towards their heavenly father when they mature and develop as adults, there is nothing more I can do than to help nurture that attitude towards me their first father. (laughs) Um, And in my experience, um, there have been great challenges for people coming to faith 
who have had very poor father figures in their life. Um, but those of us, and I'm one of them, that has a godly father, and my father taught me to love and respect and uh, obey him, that paved a very clear path for me, and I thank God for that path. And so we need to help our children and prepare them for the relationship that they're going to have with their Heavenly Father, and we want them to have a respectful attitude, a God-fearing, God-honoring attitude, and an obedient attitude towards the Lord. So if a child that learns obedience and respect for his parents is promised a long life, a long and well-lived life, then what do you think a child that does not learn to respect and obey his parents, what kind of life will he live, most likely? Well, he's going to have some challenges. <laughs> if the promise for a well-long-lived life is obeying and respecting your parents, for those children that are not taught that lesson, I think it is much more likely that they have a future of heartache and challenge ahead of them because they will be kicking against and rebelling against the very terms in which God made them to live in a respect and honor of the Lord. And so this is our goal uh, for our children. Um, obviously not our long-term goal, but to try to train and develop children that both obey and honor us as parents as a way of preparing them, training them to have this attitude um, when they are adults and when they're older. So let's go ahead and mosey down one more verse here to Ephesians chapter 6. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, I am most passionate about the father's role in parenting because I'm a dad. <laughs> uh, and so I highlight those things. And it, I think it's interesting here, guys, and interesting here, fellas, for us to remember that biblically the role, the dominant role that God gives to who is instructing and disciplining their child is not the mother. This instruction is given to the papa. <laughs> Uh, that's what my children call me. It is my job to instruct and discipline my children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, so, gentlemen, um, I know we're, we're, you know, we're busy at work throughout the day, throughout the week. In terms of when we get home, we kind of think, all right, my job's done. And we kind of think my job's to provide the, 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 the means for food and for a, a, house, a house over their heads. Um, but if we accomplish that, but we fail to do verse 4, then we are falling so short of our calling as fathers. And um, we really need to think about our calling to be instructive and disciplinary uh, parents and fathers. Um, I think sometimes um, us fathers, we feel intimidated because we're not around the kids as much as our wives and the mothers. And so perhaps we kind of take a back seat and we kind of feel like, all right, that's in your department. I'll stay in my lane. You stay in your lane. That is not God's intention. God's intention is for the fathers to have a leadership role in parenting just like in other, every other aspect of the family. And so that means there needs to be communication that's had. And I was talking to my wife last night. I said, 
this, this verse is kind of a key verse I'll be using in my lesson, but it kind of talks mostly to, to fathers. And she made a good point that sometimes mothers can be possessive of parenting. Because after all, I know these kids better than you do, and I've been around them so much, and that doesn't work. And I think us men should see our wives' relationship and their time spent with our children as a valuable resource. That as we're developing a plan and a strategy and a method for raising up our children in this way, we can call upon them. But I also think the, the, the women and the mothers need to also learn to submit and subject themselves to the leadership of the husband so that you two can work together in a unified approach to raising those children. I'll talk a little bit about this later on, but so much damage can be done if there's not consistency and unity. And the kids are very smart to pick up on those things. So we need to be unified in this. And that starts with a central you know, leader head who's able to then you know, collect information, ask input, but then sign a direction and go forward from there. The second point from this text and this verse is uh, whenever the scripture starts with talking to someone and says don't, uh, you immediately know this is a natural inclination. So the first thing he says to dads is don't do this. <laughs> don't provoke your children to anger. Um, and then a similar statement is said in Colossians chapter th 3, fathers, do not antagonize your children so that they will not become discouraged. Or another translation says, do not lose heart. I think the Lord knows dads can sometimes cause their children to lose heart and become discouraged. And so that is an instruction that God makes very clear here, that when you're raising your children, do so in a thoughtful way so as not to discourage your children as you are training and molding and disciplining them. And I'll just kind of throw this out. Um, I'm in a list of things in my own observations, my own experiences, and what I've observed of things that cause anger or frustration or discouragement within children that us dads and us parents can do. Uh, the first thing I listed here is abundant rebukes with no expressions of approval. That can cause discouragement, uh, loss of heart, and anger. When every time the dad's saying, don't do that, stop that, stop that, stop that, but there's no ever, never ever an expression of good job. You did great there, son. You did great there, Missy. You did great, you know. That balance is what's necessary. I think I learned that even, you know, with most relationships. We need that kind of balance. I think the first couple months of being married, sometimes Sonia would see something in me and I'd see something in her, you know, and say, okay, can you do this different? Can you do this different? And I think we realized we kind of had a limit on how much criticism we could take without a positive word. And we kind of figured out that balance. Kids have that exact same balance. We need to be balanced and thoughtful about, yes, rebuking and correcting wrong, but also giving that approval, giving that encouragement. You did great there. And that will obviously... Um, not only keep them from losing heart, but I think spur them on to further obedience. Um, inconsistent standards, I think, would also cause frustration and anger and loss of heart. I mean, how discouraging would it be if as we are driving on a road trip and you're going through several towns, uh, once every four or five towns, that town decided that green lights meant stop and red lights meant go. 
I mean, that would just be, and, and there was a cop car waiting, knowing exactly, you know, wh- you know what, what car was coming from this town over there. How frustrating that would be when the signals are not consistent. But yet sometimes we as parents can do that. Where we're not consistent with our instruction, not consistent with our boundaries or correction. Sometimes it's okay to, to stay on the couch, sometimes not. Sometimes they get a spanking for this, sometimes they don't. And it's by sending these mixed signals. And so whenever they are disciplined, they're like, wait a minute, I wasn't disciplined yesterday for that. And that can cause discouragement and anger and resentment. Another thing that I've observed that can cause that is neglect or absence. Um, my little girl just now, she was uh, uh, picking a card from the visitor card. And she, she put it back in the envelope in the front of your pews. And she looked up at me at what she was able to do. She was able to put it right back where she found it. And she, she wanted to see my face, that I had saw what she had done. Because our children, you know, are just baked in their hardware. They want to be seen by us. They want us to see what they're doing and how they're developing. And you can imagine if a, a child feels like their dad or their mom's not around to see those things, or that there's no acknowledgement regarding those types of things, how that could cause discouragement and a loss of heart for our children. And there's so many more things uh, that can come up, but we need to remember these types of things can cause this kind of discouragement or loss of heart within our children. The third observation here that I want to make, and I can't make this more strongly, is that the instruction and discipline that fathers and parents are told to give to their children is not that of academics. This verse says nothing of academics. It says nothing about success in extracurricular sports at high school. That's not our job. Our primary job is to bring up our children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. The Lord's discipline, the Lord's instruction. This is spiritual parenting. (laughs) These kinds of things. If our kids grow up to be doctors and lawyers and making all these figures of income, but yet they don't know the Lord and not disciplined in the Lord's ways, then we have failed. We have failed in that. This is not um, the type of instruction that we see being promoted here, whether it's academics or career-oriented. If that stuff happens, that's great. That's wonderful. God bless them. But the type of instruction that we are called to bring up our children in is the instruction and discipline of the Lord. So I want to talk a little bit about um, what is biblical instruction when it comes to instructing our children and a little bit more about the instruction or the discipline that the Bible would call us to have. I want to read this section um, of scripture in Deuteronomy 6. This is in the Old Testament where God is calling his people to uh, preparing them to uh, pass on the information and the knowledge of the law. Because God knows that not every generation is going to be able to go back to Mount Sinai and recreate that scene. So how is God's word going to be passed on? Well, it's going to be passed on via men and women accomplishing his instructions in these verses. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 6-9, through 9, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall repeat them diligently to your sons, and speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. You shall also tie them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall also write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." 
This instruction that we are to give our children is not a once a week activity. It cannot be accomplished by what I'm bringing my kids to Sunday school. The words of the Lord, the words of God's instruction need to be on our lips, on our tongues, with our children as they're eating their mac and cheese, as we're taking them to school, as we're bathing them, as we're disciplining them. The words of God needs to be on our lips. And that is how the word of God is passed from one generation to the next. But if we're not doing that, um, then we'll see generations of Israel uh, of our children that are similar to the generation of Israelites where their parents didn't tell them, uh, didn't pass on the information, didn't pass on the words of God. And this is, I think, an instruction um, that I think I'd like for us to consider just real briefly here before I get back to parents, not just for parents, but I think there's a role that we all can play in this work. In Matthew chapter 19, there's an interesting encounter uh, between Jesus, children, and his disciples. It says, then some children were brought to him, that is Jesus, so that he would lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, leave the children alone and do not forbid them to come to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. I think this demonstrates a tendency, even from believers, to think of children as kind of second class, you know, teaching opportunities and second class kind of uh, people to influence. I hope that's not the case here with the brethren in Garden City. I hope we all feel the same way, that about an hour ago when we were having a Bible study, the most important ones were happening in that building over there. <laughs> um, and I think this, this uh, scripture would indicate Jesus thinks very highly of opportunities where people are praying for, spending time with, instructing, and teaching our children. Um, so let me not... Uh, let's not neglect that. Um, I've not preached very much in English, and so I keep reverting back into Creole ways of saying things, so please forgive me for that. Um, so let's, let's not forget that. Um, let's encourage um, each other to teach our children, but then also let's try helping each other out and encouraging each other in that. I hope one day, perhaps, if Bryant comes over and says, do you mind if I, you know, I come over early you know, one day this week and just study with your kids? I hope you wouldn't think that would be a weird thing to do. I, ho- I hope you'd think, that, that's wonderful. Here I have someone trying to come and invest in my kids and teach them more about Jesus. I would love to have some more neighbors like that in Sierra Leone. <laughs> you know? And so let's do that. And they don't need to be, just be Bryant. You know, there's different times throughout the week where you guys can encourage each other in that or pray for the children. Let's not view those opportunities as being second-class opportunities. Those are the primary opportunities. So let's make sure that's reflected in our, in our priorities. All right, let's get back to parenting here. <sighs> okay, so this is an interesting verse. So in, in Proverbs chapter 22, we're kind of transitioning a little bit from instruction to discipline. Let's talk about discipline for a little bit. And in order for us to properly think about discipline... I'm not sure I do, but I'm getting there. I feel like I'm making progress, so be patient with me as I'm also in this journey to figure this out, and quickly, too, because uh, it seems like every time I blink, my kids are, are a little bit older, and I've, I've wasted some more time. But this is an interesting thing. So the world might say, 
uh, or even some different religious beliefs would say that children are uh, born in an, an inherited sin, and that's not what the Bible talks. However, this verse set, does say that our children do have a disposition. <laughs> they do lean in a direction. There is something there within the heart of a child that, is, uh, that needs correction, that needs training. And so in Proverbs 22, verse number 15, the Bible says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Within the heart of every child here, um, unless there's a better parent than I, which there probably is, that's already been able to take it out, there is foolishness in that child. There is foolishness. Now, foolishness is not the same as sin. But foolishness, if it is allowed to continue to grow and cling on to a heart, as it develops, as it matures and, and, and grows within that heart, will lead to a character of sin and rebellion against the Lord. So, one of our jobs as parents is to get that foolishness out of there. <laughs> All right? And it even sounds like it's not a very easy job. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. It's not like it's just laying there on top. You're just going to blow it off. <laughs> you know, it, it's tied in there. You know, it's like with a knot or I don't know, like a strap of some sort. Like the idea is it's, it's in their heart. So it's going to take some effort on our part to remove foolishness from the heart of that child. Okay. So, we as parents must see our work as a bit of a rescue mission. <laughs> Not that our kids need saving right now, but our kids, if allowed to their own devices, will be at a point in the future where they will drown. Uh, they will drown. And so we need to take urgency in our role because foolishness is inside that heart. And God has given me the responsibility to pull that out. And to help train and, and form and, and redirect that heart, not in a foolish-oriented way, but rather in a God-fearing, obedient, respectful way. So, this is not, not the job for the passive parent. Um, my brother-in-law, Bryant, and me and John went uh, out canoeing a couple days ago. Uh, we were, did a camping trip. And uh, the, ca the canoe ride to where we were camping was great. All the way back, there was wind, and we were kind of going against the current. And um, let's just say, any, any passive paddler was not going to make it. <laughs> because the streams go in one direction. You know, and the winds kind of turn, turning you cockeyed. You can ask Brian to talk, Brian, talk to you more about that. He had an experience. Uh, I'll let him share that one, not me. Um, you know, the, the idea is when there's a current in one direction, passive paddlers are not going to make it. And same thing with our children. Our children, <laughs> they have foolishness in their heart. And so they're kind of going one direction. And if we are passive in our parenting, they will go the direction that we don't want them to go. And so it takes active parenting, active engaged parenting, in order to assist our children in this way. So my question is, uh, and I can quite concur quite quickly that yes, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Any arguers about that in here? Anyone think it's different? Uh, I see that firsthand quite often. Uh, but the question is, how do we remove that? What method is there for removing 
foolishness from the heart of a child. And this is one where I have to revert back to, you know, Proverbs, earlier in Proverbs, not to lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge him. The scripture says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. By the way, that's exactly where I want foolishness away from my child. Far from it. I don't want it sleeping next bunk to my kid. I want it far away. And this verse says that the method that God ordains for how we are to remove foolishness from a child is discipline and correction. Um... I know in our culture, there's different, and even in psychology, there's different thoughts regarding this, but I need to trust in God's word that when this is said strongly, I need to say it strongly too as a preacher of the gospel. That discipline and correction, physical correction, is how, uh, when done properly and correctly, is how we as parents can remove foolishness from the hearts of our child. Um, this, the end, second half of this verse does not say, well, just wait it out. Just wait the patience out. It's just a phase. We can think that sometimes. Oh, just that terrible twos. Or, oh, just, you know, w- 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 they're teenage years. It's, they're all lazy. You know how boys and teenage boys are. That's not what it says. It doesn't say just wait it out. Just be patient. It's just a phase. It doesn't, he didn't, the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture doesn't say, well, the threat of discipline. If you just threaten to correct them enough, they'll stop it. That's not what it says. The threat is not what will remove foolishness from your child's heart. Uh, they're Sunday school teachers. Is that what it says? It doesn't say your Sunday. It's not your Sunday school teacher's job to fix your child or to correct your child or pull that foolishness and remove that foolishness from your heart's child. Or maybe a, a, a Bible summer camp. Okay, that'll straighten my kid out. Send him to this Bible camp. That's not the solution according to God's word. The solution here is the rod of discipline is what we can do. And maybe you think, well, physical discipline, corporal punishment in this way was more of a cultural norm back then. Well, I don't think that's the case after reading this next section. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14, it says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. Though you strike him with a rod, he will not die. (laughs) Uh, It kind of sounds like, Solomon's talking to parents who were afraid of, uh, of spanking their kids, of using the rod of discipline. So he's trying to say, you know what? They're not going to die. You know, it sounds like he's speaking to a culture that is reluctant to show this kind of discipline. And so he says, this is what you need to do. This is not a, a suggestion. This is a command. Do not withhold this kind of discipline. It says, you shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. <laughs> There's a rescue mission that we as parents are on to prevent our children from later on when they're adults going a path that leads to destruction, leads to death. And it's interesting and it's intimidating to think about that mission starts when they're young. <laughs> Before they can talk, <laughs> that mission's already started. And we've either set them up for an advantage or disadvantage in those ways. And so we need to discipline. And I want to talk a little bit about, um, I got maybe two more scriptures and then I have some freebie applications that you shouldn't take as seriously as the rest of this, but just some thoughts and suggestions. Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he grows older, he will not abandon it. So here's an instruction. Train up your child in the right way. What's the right way? To obey and respect his parents. 
among other things, but that's, that's, a, that's a big thing. And obviously there's maybe more that you would ask of your child the older they get, and there's different approaches you would take with a five-year-old versus an eight-year-old and things like that. But we need to train up our child in the way that he should go. That's the instruction. But what's the motivation? The motivation is a long, it's a far-sighted goal that I know that if I train up my child in the right way, I'm setting him up for advantage in the future. That is a huge advantage he will have as he navigates the different paths of life. In a similar verse in the New Testament that we read before the, uh, the sermon, it talks about discipline in Hebrews chapter 12. And this is not talking about necessarily parenting techniques, but this has been very helpful in our household. Uh, my wife has um, uh, taught this verse and to our children where they, they've memorized it, uh, verse number 11. Uh, verse, it starts off the first verse talking about our, our earthly parents. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant, both for the kids but also for the parents, but painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And I can't read that verse without hearing my little three-year-old's voice. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. My kids know that the discipline, the correction, that rod of discipline is painful for a moment. But yet we're motivated to do it because we know of what it can produce and what it can yield. And so I want to encourage the parents here to think about their parenting with far-sighted perspective. So many times, it's so natural for us, and I'm guilty of this, to parent with short-term goals in, in, in the front of my view. <laughs> Where I'm at church, I'm in a public place, and my you know, kids are kicking and screaming, there's, it, and I'm thinking about, how can I get these kids just to be quiet? <laughs> you know, and I, but I'm not thinking about how I can set them up for success. I'm not thinking about... How can I discipline them? How can I speak to them? How can I train them so as to produce the same discipline that God's discipline produces? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. And I actually think maybe this verse is talking to parents because he knew the idea of peaceful fruit was something that a parent would, would be drawn to. It's hard to come by. All that peace. But yet, that's what faithful, God-oriented discipline can produce. Maybe not immediately, but down the road. And so sometimes we get so focused on the here and now and the frustrations of this moment where we say things we shouldn't say to our children. We act ways we shouldn't act to our children. We act in anger or frustration. Sometimes we just like blow things over because we're too, uh, you know, we, we just kind of ignore problems because after all we're talking to this person or we're kind of, we don't want to deal with it right now. We just kind of, you know, here's an iPad, you know, and just, um, but that will not produce the, the, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That, that won't produce holiness. Let's take seriously a long, far-sighted goal that the discipline instructing I'm imparting to my child is to bless them with a well-lived life in the future. A life full of holiness, a, a life full of peaceful fruit of righteousness, a life that when he is old, he won't depart from the good things he's learned. We need to have that kind of focus, that kind of perspective. So let me just share, uh, I'll run through these as quick as I can, just some practical suggestions. And so a lot of this has been fairly principle-based. 
I know after teaching something like this, there's a lot of things that come to my mind as far as things that I can improve on. But here are just a few, again, very practical suggestions. Um, these are just things that I have, um, uh, advice I've collected from other wiser, older men who have uh, more successfully trained their children and have done this longer than I have. But the first suggestion I'd have is keep your word when it comes to your instruction and your interaction with your children. If you say something, do it. If you inform them of a penalty for disobeying and they disobey, keep your word. If you say, uh, you're going to get in trouble if you do this, Johnny, you're going to get in trouble if you do this, but you never keep your word, only, you only keep your word half of the time, then what are they learning about your word? Your word is only faithful half of the time. And then when they associate that with Lord, well, my dad's word's only true half of the time, so maybe God's word's only true half of the time. And that then influences not only their childhood, but how they view God in the future. So keep your word. May your children, let your children know that when you say something, it happens. They can count on that. And that will actually allow them to have much more joy and security because they're not always guessing what dad's going to do or what mom's going to do when I do this. They know. Because dad said it. <laughs> He's going to keep his word. Train for first-time obedience. Um, if we only correct and discipline after the third or fourth time of telling Johnny to sit down, then Johnny will be smart enough to realize that mommy and daddy really only care about me doing something after they told me the fourth time. Therefore, my, when my mom says something, do something the first time or the second time, I still got time. I don't got to obey yet. Fourth time still coming. Little Johnny's smart. Little Susan's smart. And so we need to train our children for first time obedience. I'm not really comfortable with my child being as smart enough to realize that, well, only half the time I have to obey the first time. The rest of them, ah, you know, I, I want the type of obedience that my children learn that when Papa says, come here, I expect first time obedience. First time right away is this, the phrase that we have in my household. First time right away. And so let's nurture that kind of obedience because that's the exact same of obedience we want our children to have towards their Heavenly Father. We don't want their Heavenly Father having to say to them, you know, come over here, stop doing that, come on, come on, come on. We want first time obedience right away. Clear boundaries, consistent correction. And this is all kind of overlapping a little bit here. But inconsistencies confuse children, and confused children don't learn very well. <laughs> and what I mean by that is when our boundaries are not clear and consistent, then it becomes kind of like a guessing game to our children. You know, if, like I said, half the time they're allowed to stay on the couch, half the time they're not, then it's not clear to them when it's acceptable and when it's not. It's better just to have a clear boundary consistent response when those boundaries have been tra transgressed, uh, consistent correction when they've passed the line so that our kids can understand, oh, this is obvious thing. <laughs> this is something mom and, and papa don't, don't allow us to do every time. And that takes a lot of work. And it's hard <laughs> to be consistent, especially when you're tired, Especially when maybe your wife and you just got you know, in a bit of a conversation about something. You have company over. You're in the restaurant. Someone invited you over for dinner. It's really hard to be consistent. But it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so I think we have to have uh, that goal. And I think, any, I think a lot of people will respect you taking time away, even from that conversation, to discipline. You know. 
Um, the next one, uh, angerless correction. I got a red squiggly line underneath angerless, so it's not, a, a, I guess, a word, I suppose. But it should be, because that's the kind of correction we need. Angerless correction. Angerless correction. Uh, discipline must not be motivated by anger or frustration because I've just had enough of you. That is not where our discipline comes from. All these scriptures we've read, the discipline is inspired and motivated because of our love and service for the life of that child. Therefore, correction will only be given out, and the level of correction will only be given out, as I see it fit for benefiting that child. Not because I'm just worn out, and I'm just ready to wallop on someone, or I'm just ready to yell. No, no. that's not at all an acceptable example for that. And so I need to make sure that my disciplines and my, when I discipline, how much I discipline is consistent and not based upon whether or not I have my morning coffee or not or how tired I am or, or, or even if one kid's been on, you know, been, been kind of setting boundary and kind of pushing at me all day, taking it out on the other kid who's actually been great, you know, being consistent, not letting frustration, anger, even being tired affect our discipline levels. It's really hard really hard. Us parents, we know we don't get a whole lot of sleep, and so it's easy just for us to be a little more volatile. And thankfully, God's grace is abundant. And thankfully, our children are so forgiving, aren't they? You know, whenever we realize we make a mistake and we say, I'm sorry, I spoke too highly, to, you know, to you there, and I was too harsh. Um, I'm, I'm amazed by how quickly our children are just willing to say, it's okay, Papa, and give me a hugger on the neck. And so um, if my, my child can learn that, then I can, I can be patient with myself too, but I need to learn from those examples. Uh, and then I think there's two or three more here. Uh, proactive training. Uh, sometimes um, we only train when our kids are doing something bad. <laughs> and so when they do something bad, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Be proactive. If before you go into an environment that you think might be tricky for your child, sit them down and say, all right, this is what might, might happen. And so I want you to be on the lookout for this and this and this. And kind of identify what you would see as being maybe, you know, temptations or problem scenarios for your child and be proactive about it. Don't just be simply reactive. We need to be reactive, but be proactive in the training of our children. Um, have special training sessions with them. That's, I mean, I hate to compare. We do that with dogs, right? <laughs> you know, when we're trying to teach our dogs about something, we don't just wait till he does something bad. We, we, we spend an hour or two with them, you know, and give them a hot dog. Well, that works pretty good for mine, at least. Uh, you know, just, just kind of training them about different things. And say, oh, good job when, when they come to you the first time, when they're having a hard time, you know, when I say Eden and she, she doesn't look, around, look, look at me right away, oh, we're going to work on that. Come here. You know, I send her away, Eden. You know, and we kind of go through it a couple times to get some positive momentum, some high fives, feeling good about it. Be proactive about it. Don't just wait till they mess up. Uh, a unified approach. Um, get on the same page with your spouse. This is huge. Um, develop a united and uniform plan for training and discipline. What are the boundaries in your house? What are the things uh, uh, that you, know, you guys in your household don't tolerate? What are the various levels of discipline and correction that are worthy of certain transgressions? Be on the same page about that. You know, if, if one child knows that you know, dad's kind of a softy and mama's more, you know, that's going to affect how they view you know, uh, and, and a respond uh, to you. And so get on the same page. I might just say, uh, if, if you're sing, sitting here in the sermon, you don't have any kids, uh, maybe what you could do in your application for this lesson 
is talk to a few of the, the, the parents here and ask them if you could babysit their kids while they went and had a, a, a parenting a powwow. <laughs> you know, go out to eat on a date, you know, and just watch their kids and do it periodically. My, my kids are changing all the time. What, what worked for them a couple months ago ain't working so good right now, and I need to update that. And so maybe you can offer to babysit your kids just for them to get away. And maybe if you could especially say, I'd love you guys to talk about your, you know, your strategies or plans or whatever would be helpful to your family. That would be a blessing, I think. You know, I'd accept that. I'm, I'm, I'm here till tomorrow, so you guys are running out of time. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then finally, um, seek counsel. Uh, this is so hard. Uh, we feel so sensitive regarding our parenting and the thought of people criticizing us or telling us what, you know, their opinion about how we're not doing. It can just make us crumble inside. Um, but we've looked at all these passages, right, that talk about how important good parenting is. And not just about how important it is for you, but for your child. It's too important of a task not to use any and all available resources. <laughs> so if, if there's someone in the group or uh, so that's already kind of been down this road or you're struggling with something, like I'm not sure if Johnny, I'm getting, how I'm getting through to Johnny here, I'm not through, you know, ask around, you know, and be humble to receive the answer because the answer might not be what you like. And sometimes us as parents, we're kind of blind to our kids' problems sometimes. You know, where us, I just think my kid's, you know, crying because she's sad, and everyone else is looking like, that's a tantrum. <laughs> you know, but I'm the last to notice it because I'm just kind of used to it. You know, be, it's really hard for someone to take the initiative to give you parenting feedback. It's so much easier if you ask for it. So I, I just hope all of us parents out there are willing to be humble and to receive instruction, um, you know, kind of put ourselves out there. And I think our, our, our children will thank us for that uh, down the road. And not only that, but we're told in the scriptures that there's no greater joy uh, than when our children walk in the truth. And of course, that's talking of a spiritual kind of case. But I think it's certainly true of, of parents and those you know, parents here that have had uh, the blessing of raising godly children. I'm probably going to attest to that. There's no greater joy than the knowledge that your children are walking in the Lord. Um, but I also kind of think about it in the other end. Well, if, that's, if there's no greater joy than that, then perhaps there's no greater sorrow in life than the hardship of knowing that your child's not walking according to the Lord. And so why wouldn't we do anything we could to try to give them an advantage to kind of help them so that when they've reached you know, maturity and development, they, they have what they need in order to make godly decisions. And obviously what happens after that, that is between them and the Lord. But um, we can uh, rest a little easier knowing that we've, we've done as much as we possibly could. And we've relied upon God's grace in the interim of all those things. All right. Thank you. And I'll probably talk a little bit too long here. But I appreciate your guys' um, kind attention, your guys' kind investment in my family, both my immediate family, but also my extended family and the love and encouragement you guys provide them uh, thoroughly. Um, this is a, a lesson uh, certainly for parents, um, but truly God is the best father and um, his discipline and his training is what we're all looking for and that's found within God's word as well as in multiple other sources and how he helps us and encourages us so if you would need any help and assistance in learning the instruction of the Lord uh, whether that means how to become a Christian or how to get back on the right path or if you just need accountability and support in any way uh, we ask that you would make that need known uh, right now as we stand and sing